All right. Thank you, everybody, uh, once again for tuning in to the Off Base Sports Podcast. As always, I am your host, Jason Benicki, and I am joined today by Todd. Todd, you always bring the fire on the microphone. You really make me excited. Uh, and as always, we are recording live from South Bend, Indiana. I, I, I'm not as good at that as those guys are. If you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. That's all right. Um, but anyways, as always, follow me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and the Action Network app at Degenerate Jason with no O, D-E-G-E-N-E-R-A-T-E-J-A-S-N. Um, and Todd never sh- shares his social media, so there's no reason for me to pretend that he even has it. Um, <laughs> and you can follow us on, you can download the podcast on uh, Spotify, Apple, any place you find podcasts, we're there. Uh, so, of course, uh, we want to start out real quick today uh, with just a quick moment of silence uh, to go out to Kobe Bryant, his daughter, his family, and everybody involved. So, even though it's kind of tough for those of you listening, not watching, uh, we're going to give you a quick moment of silence. Uh, and rest in peace to Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and all involved. All right, um, so we were planning this episode today uh, when the absolute tragic uh, news broke uh, around 2 o'clock here on Eastern Standard Time. Uh, kind of made us replan the show on the fly a little bit. Um, you know, sports is supposed to be your escape from the real world. Needless to say, that's kind of what you look for sports to be. And then when you have to, you know, the real world comes in two sports, it kind of throws your whole day off, your whole, you know, kind of throws everything off that you were working on, you know, anything you're, you're trying to get away from, you know, it just, it gets a little too real and it, you know, hits close to home for, for a lot of people, you know, whether you're a Kobe Bryant fan or not, um, whether, whether you want to focus on, you know, whether you knew him or not, I think he impacted so many people in so many ways, it's kind of hard to to look at it as anything but what it was, was, you know, he was obviously a huge cultural icon, a huge, huge spark part of the sports lexicon and a huge part of, of, of everyday American life. And when somebody at 41 passes so tragically, and then when they're, you know, even worse, when you have kids involved, uh, it, it just, I don't even have the right words to say. I don't, I don't know that there's a good way to talk about this, uh, but I do you know, always want to take a moment. I think when you have a moment like this and, uh, talk, I, I guess for me, you know, Kobe Bryant is one of those polarizing guys on the court. Uh, but he was my kind of guy. I always love those go for the jugular types. Uh, you know, I wish he could have found a way to get along with Shaq better. Um, cause if you're, if your ultimate goal is winning championships, you, it doesn't benefit you any to lose, the greatest player of a generation on your team. Uh, so to me, that's, that's always one of those things, uh, that you need to, uh, uh, you know, got to, got to learn to get along, I guess would be what I would say. Uh, but there's no denying his accomplishments on the court, uh, what he accomplished, everything he was able to do. Uh, 
you know, I think anything covers who, who Kobe Bryant is and what he was able to do was his 60 point game on his last game on the court. You know, to me, that was ultimate peak Kobe. You know, he, he was obviously well past his physical prime. Injuries had sapped him of uh, of what athleticism he had. But he knew it was his last game, and he was going out shooting every shot in the building if he had to because he wanted that iconic moment, and he wanted that second to touch base and do those kind of things. So that was Kobe to me in a nutshell is is he was a competitor, but he wanted to be the man more than anything else. You know, he wanted to be a guy who did it his way, who accomplished. And and I found a video that was going around on Twitter earlier today that kind of covered it, you know, kind of who Kobe was and his relationship with his daughter. And it, and it really made you think is, you know, he was, you know, fans would come up to him and his daughter would be there with him. And they'd always say, you know, Kobe, don't you want a son to carry on your legacy? And then she would pipe up and say, don't worry, I got this, <laughs> you know, and, and he really felt she did. You know, so to him it wasn't I had to have a son to do this. My daughter wanted to play basketball. I was going to be all in with her, and that's what they were going to do. They were going to basketball practice when this unfortunate incident occurred. So, you know, there are some guys who get caught in that moment of having to have a son to carry on the legacy, and Kobe didn't need that. You know, so it's kind of funny for a guy who spent so many years trying to be the man. Like, it seems like as a father he was the complete antithesis of that, that he didn't need to be the man as a father didn't have to have a son to carry on his legacy he just needed children and he had that and they they were interested in what he was interested in and obviously he was very involved you know how how many times are there parents that you you would wish go to practice and and with their kids and and he wasn't just going to practice with his but he was taking you know teammates with them and their parents so it's kind of everything you would hope for in that kind of scenario you would hope to, to to have an engaged parent and, and, you know, there are other people who will speak more about Kobe. Uh, I'm not a huge Lakers fan, although we did almost have him on the Bulls one time. Uh, you know, so that that, that, that would have been awesome. Uh, Somehow you blame Bagar Pax for screwing that one up, too. No, that, that's a whole other issue for a whole, whole other time. Uh, today's not that day for, for that conversation. You know, that one, it was close, but it wasn't that close. But it would have been great to have him as a Bulls player. You know, for me, when you're always competing against a guy like a, a Kobe when it's your team, it kind of takes away uh, from from maybe be, you being the biggest fan for somebody like that. You know, I'd always take up for a guy like Lou Dang or a guy like Derrick Rose, even an injured Derrick Rose, Jimmy Butler. Those were my guys. Uh, you know, to, to a fault, I'm a Bulls guy. But of everybody you just named, Kobe would have been the only one to step in and not feel that pressure of 23 in a Bulls uniform. No, I agree. I think... He would have never, not only would he have not felt that pressure, he would have embraced the challenge of, of winning a championship and being the guy to get over that hurdle and get over that hump. I, you know, so there, there, there's definitely a case of what could have been and, and what was missed. That's for sure. Uh, I don't want to beat this on too long because uh, it's not necessarily what I do best. Um, so we're going to transition unless you have anything you want to add to that, Todd. I think I'm going to move away. I mean, no, that's it. I guess the only thing I have to say is the one thing that I think he ever strived for was to be either Michael or as close to Michael as he could, and he was. I mean, he, no. was, he was it, and he never passed the keys on to anybody. No, I would, I would definitely say uh, he he was, you know, a, a Michael clone, and there's no way around that uh, for sure. Uh, you know that that was his goal. He he definitely in, achieved and embraced it. 
as much as he could. And, uh, you know, after his career, the the one thing you can see different from him than Michael is even in last night's accomplishment, you know, he didn't feel the need to be competitive with it. You know, where Michael always still tends to be competitive about the comparisons. You know, LeBron passing Kobe last night for uh, all-time points scored. Uh, LeBron looked at it much more as a, hey, this is the next great guy. Enjoy this greatness. You know, I don't need to compete with his greatness. And maybe that's because after years of trying to compete with Michael's greatness, he, he kind of realized there's no reason to compare myself to somebody from a different era and from a different time frame. You know, Jordan Jordan picked up from Bird and Magic to carry the game forward. Mm-hmm. Me and Shaq and, and Allen Iverson and our group picked up from and Michael Jordan to grow the game. LeBron and, and Steph Curry and company have picked up from me to grow the game. And, you know, Zion and John Morant and whoever else will be the next generation to carry on from LeBron. And I think it really kind of brings into contrast, you know, how silly some of our sports generational comparisons are. Not that it's going to stop me from doing it. No, not in in a million years. But I think, you know, it showed that, you know, as he had had moved away from the sport, that maybe he had matured away from uh, needing to 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 be the goat or that kind of comparison that he had uh, made that adjustment in in his mentality. Well, I will say the last interview he did, he said the one thing that still bugs him, and bugs him, and bugs him, was getting five instead of six. Well, again, I kind of covered that a little earlier. If he could have been willing to be sidekick Robin to to Shaq's Batman, he probably gets there. Yeah, I mean they were that good, they were that dominant, and that was that group. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They were they were those guys uh, all the way through. Well, rest in peace, Kobe. Yeah, so rest in peace to Kobe, his daughter, and all involved in that tragic accident. Uh, again, it's just just a tough day. Uh, really changed what we were planning on on doing here. Uh, you know, had, had had some other topics lined up, and we may still get to them. We'll see. Uh, but we don't want to do that forever. Uh, not not my thing. Um, no. <laughs> uh, but obviously, we have a very big event coming up next Sunday. Uh, we would call that a superb owl, uh, so I don't have to pay any fines. Uh, so in that superb owl, we have a team from San Francisco and a team from Kansas City meeting off. Um, I'm going to let Todd take the early prediction and his thoughts on it because uh, I have a prediction and some thoughts. So I will let him run first with this one. Very simple. The team from San Francisco by 10. That's it? Just by 10? By 10. I think Patrick Mahomes is... Well, I can say that one without having to pay anything, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I just wasn't sure. We couldn't say. I think Mahomes is going to run into defense, and he's not going to be able to solve it. And I honestly believe Andy Reid is going to choke this one away. So I hear a lot of people making that comparison to... Uh, the Denver Seattle Super Bowl five ish six years ago, um, and here's where I, I will deviate from that a whole lot. There are are, are two. I'm going to call them three key differences between the Kansas City offense and the uh, Denver offense. First off, the speed that Kansas City has. No matter how good your game plan is, no matter how good your defense is, nobody else has that speed. The Denver offense didn't have that kind of speed. The San Francisco defense doesn't have that kind of speed. It is hard to scheme speed. And they have it, and they have it in droves. Uh, two, 
Patrick Mahomes loves to make plays off his back foot, off of rhythm across his body. So being rushed, being hurried, being forced off of rhythm, not going to affect him like it did Peyton Manning. And okay. three, and the, the the absolute big backbreaker, and we saw it last last weekend against Titans, is his ability to pick up chunk yard plays with his feet. So you're right, Nick Boza can get there. D Ford can get there, although he might uh, be a little bit offside. So hopefully that'll <laughs> work for Kansas City this time. Well, and you know he can just get away. He can escape. He can get it. So you know, despite all the sharp money going San Francisco, all these people saying, "Well, defense wins championships." I just think trying to make a comparison and a foolish comparison in my eyes to Denver, Seattle, between Kansas City and San Francisco is just short-sighted i i like kansas city i like kansas city by six uh which more than covers the spread right now well i have an answer for your speed you can have all the speed you want when you're standing on the sidelines in san francisco's running the ball 46 times in the game just like they did last week kansas but, city doesn't have the defensive front to stop that kansas uh, city's defense is a front built to be in front and they're smaller and rush guys are you talking about because there is absolutely 0.0% chance that you can make that claim they can't stop the run and they need to be on the field when you just watched what they did to Tennessee who happened to run the last two teams off the field. So if, if it was two weeks ago before they played Tennessee and you wanted to make that analogy, fine. But we just saw what they did against the best running team in the entire playoffs. End of discussion, the Titans were the best well, running team in the playoffs. I'm, I'm, and, I'm, and Kansas City met that challenge and took it on head first, and they didn't well, need the ball. Well, there's a difference. Kansas City was willing to let Ryan, or Ryan Tannehill beat them because they didn't believe Ryan Tannehill could. Jimmy Grapple had this year has proven if he has to, he can carry the team. So now you're moving on to another another thing. I'm just so saying, if, okay, if, you want, if you want to put eight people in that box, I trust Jimmy more than I trust Ryan to do that. Oh, Tell me I'm wrong. I, Sorry about that uh, text message interruption. Oh. But like I said, you guys are free to call in anytime, 574-274-9303. It's at the top of the video if you're watching live and join this conversation. And you can tell, Todd, how off, he is, off his rocker he is no. about, first off, they didn't need eight people to stop uh, the running back for Tennessee. I'm drawing a blank on Henry. Derek Henry. Derek Henry so, also is not as fast as what Sam Six was in the backfield. You have to, he's got more power, yes, but he's not as fast. So, so you're already proving my point that that the run game is not. If it was ten weeks ago and we were talking Kansas City, then maybe the run game's an issue. But they've fixed their run defense we'll since see. that for the last one half, game does not cause a fix. No, one no game does not cause the a last fix. ten games of the regular season. They had the best defense in the NFL. They played the Bears. They also my coach, my coach stopped myself from running the ball. Last ten, not last game, last ten. Does, that that's a large sample size in the NFL. You, you want to point to get week two or three where they struggled, fine. But rest of the season, we'll they, they were fine. Well, I, we'll I have full faith in Patrick Mahomes. Jimmy Garoppolo has not been throwing the ball in the playoffs. So you could, you could say he might be able to make plays with his arms. We haven't seen it. Not, not when the chips are down. Not when the lights shine the brightest. So I okay. want to see if when the lights come out, that star comes out that night because he hasn't proven it yet. Okay. Everybody wants well, to write a check that he's, he's somebody he's not. Down, down 24. And down 10, I like San Francisco if that's how they're going to start that game off again. 
I, I and I'm again. You're making my point on how dynamic that offense is. This is not this is not Denver circa 2013. This is not again. I think any analogy they want to pull out of it's not the greatest show on turf. They don't. The problem is they don't need time. They don't need rhythm. They make plays off schedule, off play. Correct. It's the same problem that teams had for years with Ben Roethlisberger and the Pittsburgh Steelers, is that they can make plays at any time from any place and off off schedule, off rhythm, extend the play forever to keep it going. Well, I'm just gonna put it this way: I trust Shanahan more than I trust Andy Reid. I, I I think Andy Reid's season is an overblown thing. This is his second Super Bowl now. I think he knows what to expect. I've seen what Mike Shanahan does. Or not well. Yeah, Mike, because that's that's who it is. Don't be all consistent. It's Mike Shanahan up top, helping as much as he possibly well, can. I, I remember a twenty-four-three Super Bowl with Shanahan calling plays and what happened there. So I think if I have to worry about who knows how to manage clock and manage a running game at the end of a, a Super Bowl, I think I know who to trust more. And that's mm-hmm. saying a lot. What Andy Reid's on the other side, having timeouts, but mm-hmm. he, I mean. I agree. I agree. I can't argue that point, but I said, I, I like San Francisco. I think it's going to be at least 10. All right. Well, if any of you guys have anything you want to add to that, it's 574-274-9303. Feel free call in. You can interrupt us. Uh, we're more than okay with taking a call and uh, stopping the action for anybody who's got something they want to add to the show. And I say, if you're caught, w- I'm willing to take bets on that one too. Uh, we don't have a bag of bets yet. We need something <laughs> similar to that. If if uh, any of you watch Punch Drunk Sports or listen to Punch Drunk Sports, you know what the bag of bets is. Uh, we're out open for our suggestion because I can't steal their idea, but I would like to imitate it if we are going to do bets where it's some random thing you have to do. It's not money, but it's mm-hmm. ridiculous things that you have to do. Record them, post them online if you, if you lose. I like that idea much better than money. Humiliation is the best. Absolutely. Speaking of humiliation, did you see on the uh, I see it on YouTube the there was a fantasy football league. This guy won two games all year. His friends wrapped his car into pink with all their faces on it and unicorns and rainbows, and he had to drive the car for a full year. Love it. Uh, kind of disappointed I didn't think of that. Um, I fantasy football has all kinds of great humiliation things like that. Whether they're beer miles, beer comp, you know beer challenges, things of that nature that, that kind of get people pushing the uh, envelope uh, and really pushing that embarrassment threshold. You know, physical pain, physical embarrassment, I'm all about it. Uh, I've said for years we need something like that in our own fantasy league to to keep people honest instead of bailing once their teams are, are garbage. Uh, but, yeah, love that. Um, as long as we're in the world of football, okay, uh, Somebody who saved us from having to deal with eight Patriots Super Bowls. Eli Manning announced his retirement Friday. Uh, Philip Rivers has packed up his uh, football team worth of family, lug- leased out a, a, one of those air buses <laughs> to move from San Diego back to Florida so he could be closer to family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, you can't talk those two without talking Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, so, Recovering from Tommy John. Right, and having a Grizzly Adams beard. Uh, why he does so so i think uh that one gets me you know always thinking you know everybody tries to compare these three guys and and where they rank um and i'm biased here i'm going to put the man with two super bowls wins a third super bowl appearance 
in some of the the greatest individual performances of the group at number one and easily the highest winning percentage, both regular season and postseason. Ben Roethlisberger, to me, is the number one I'm glad quarterback you, the group. I'm glad you clarified that a little bit because you said just two Super Bowls. So I'm going to say, are you talking about Eli? I said two Super Bowl wins and, and a third appearance. I was getting there. Got to <laughs> let me finish my thought. Once I finish my thought, then, then you can figure out where I was going. Uh, you know, so obviously, like I said, Eli did us all a favor by keeping the Patriots from having eight Super Bowls. Although, if they win some of the you know, butterfly effect, you, you never know what happens if they complete the 19-0 season. Maybe Brady and Belichick break up sooner and see if they can accomplish without each other. Who knows what happens if they, they accomplish that milestone. Uh, but, you know, Eli, in, in true Eli fashion, ends his career 113-113. and 113, So, absolutely mediocre. Um, he's, he won two Super Bowls. Granted, some of those losses were piled up at the very end when his GM and coach situation just turned into to absolute Cleveland Brown level of hot garbage there Ooh. in New York. I mean, it, sorry, New York. It, it's, it's they know they know what happened. They saw it. They're, they're not gonna argue with me. I don't think. I mean, if you're out there and want to make a case, then you can. So I would put Eli I the salt salt in the wound type thing. And then they didn't know they know, but you didn't have to kind of. So I would put Eli number two. Um, because you get this narrative around Philip Rivers, and he's had some great regular seasons, and then you get this narrative that uh, he never had support, uh, forgetting for that he had you know Ladanian Tomlinson, Melvin Gordon, uh, Antonio Gates, essentially his entire career. Uh, Keenan Allen, Keenan Allen. Uh, what's the wide receiver that left San Diego and went to Tampa Bay years Mike ago? William? Oh no, uh, oh well, 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 I can't think of get. But, I mean, he's always had a number one wide receiver. He's always had a top, you know, one of the top three tight ends of the league. He's always had a top-tier running back. He's always had a good offensive line. He's always had a good second wide receiver, too, to take some pressure. Uh, so, to me, the, the, you know, there were four years in a row where it, the San Diego had, like, the number two ranked defense. Granted, that's because Sean Merriman was on steroids at the time, but that doesn't help you tackle. That doesn't help you read a play. Do you have to use the word allegedly? No, he, he failed a test. I don't have to use the word allegedly when he fails. Well, I didn't, just in the time frame, I just want to make sure. Yeah, I mean, okay, if I'm going to say all four years or so, yeah, I would have to say allegedly on steroids the whole time. Fair okay. enough. Good point. Thank you. And, and I like Sean Merriman, so it's not like a dig. The, the amount of people in steroids in professional sports is, to this day with advanced testing is still much higher than any of us think. So there's nothing uh, that, that we really need to get off track with that. But I do think that he gets... <laughs> oversold vincent jackson was the wide receiver oh okay. uh, my buddy Devin must be watching because he just texted in <laughs> and let me know <laughs> thank you Devin. uh if you're watching feel free to call in uh again we will take phone calls uh but uh vincent jackson yes i forgot about that so again he's had the support for years he's had the weapons he had the tools i don't like the narrative that gets spun because he wasn't able to to get over the, the cream of the crop that he didn't accomplish it you know because realistically, you have what? This is the second year in going back to 2001 that we don't have Brady, Manning, or Roethlisberger in the Super Bowl for the AFC. We have, oh, you had that Flacco guy. You had one Joe Flacco one, and you had uh, this one now with uh, Mahomes. Mahomes. Yeah. So. so yours is Big Ben, Eli, Eli and, and uh, Rivers. We're a pretty boring segment. I'm kind of in the same, but, but I'm going to throw a little curveball at you because 
I'm not going to make the same arguments you just made. Hall of Famers, how many you got of them? Out of those three? I, I could make a case for all three. Because if you look at your voting, do you vote all three in? Not a case, is all three in. Well, you've got one who's got Hall of Fame numbers, two Super Bowl wins, and a third Super Bowl appearance. No quarterback with that kind of resume hasn't got in, so Ben's in. Eli's got two Super Bowls, two Super Bowl MVPs, less polished regular season numbers. But again, Hall of Fame voters do tend to to eat up Super Bowl wins, Super Bowl MVPs. I I wouldn't put him in, but he gets in, in my opinion. Philip Rivers also gets in. He's got the best regular season numbers of all three, um, which does help. Um, although I wonder how that'll age out over the next 10 years with passing numbers constantly inflating. Um, maybe that holds him back if he doesn't have some late career postseason success. But that's it. I, I, I could, like I said, I could make a case for all three. If I was voting, I would probably say, yeah, all three get in. Because to me, Hall of Fames are very are interesting things. And to me, it's you're telling the history of the sport. And it's hard to tell the history of the 2000s, 2010 football without all three of those guys. They all three played some pivotal role in the story of the game. They all accomplished something meaningful. They all, again, Rivers is the one that I would say is borderline in my opinion at this point. I only have one. I have Big Ben. That's the only one. Every, the other two, if there was a Hall of Fame of being very good, you are more than welcome in, but you two are not Hall of Famers. Eli Manning has the exact same case so outside of the name if you take the names out i can give you another quarterback exact same kind of information that has has not in so you're making the uh one guy who didn't vote for Derek jeter case for the hall of fame no what you're I'm, ta- I'm talking about uh, plunkett and the raiders he's not in he has the you can take the names off of it and you can put it out there the, the passing numbers are less but he has the same 500 record he's got two super bowls he's got eli's case Eli has more yards, but it's a different error, and it was a lot more passing. Outside of that, I don't see him in. And yeah. I'm sorry, Philip Rivers, what did you do outside of get big numbers in games that didn't matter? You had, what, two seasons, three seasons, where your teams were pushing and the games mattered? The rest of them, 6, 10, 7, 7 and 9, 8 and 8. You were out of the playoffs, and you, then you started racking up numbers? No, I mean, like I said, if 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 it's me, for sure, Rivers is the borderline one of of the mm-hmm. group. Uh, I I think that's the easiest case to make for an out. I think Plunkett didn't have two Super Bowl MVPs, though, did he? I didn't say if he, he has two Super Bowls. Yeah, I think he has one MVP, one non, but he does have the same five hundred record. Yeah, and they've kept him out. Right, and and unfortunately, but the voters will look at the name oh, I as know. well. Also, very different playing in that New York spotlight. They will look at the end of his career and say, yeah, he ended up with a 500 record, but some of that was not outside of his control as a quarterback. I mean, when you play behind some of those offensive lines he did these last few years, you can't, you couldn't ask anybody, even uh, Russell Wilson, to accomplish anything with, behind that group. Question, if, his, if he didn't have the last name Manning to begin with, all the average numbers he had in the regular season would have kept him as a job. I mean, he, if you look at the numbers, they're not the greatest numbers. I mean, see Trubisky, comma Mitchell. Well, when he starts for the Bears again next year, I still have hope. Tom Brady in a Bears uniform. 
Not until, until he signs somewhere else, I'm crossing everything it, I got and it, hoping. It, it, here is the only veteran quarterback you guys are bringing in next year besides Chase Daniels, Smith, comma, Alex. I like it better than Mitch, comma, Trubisky. But I see Ryan Pace making sure that there's nobody in the way of Mitch Trubisky starting for the Bears next year. Anytime you're a first-round pick, you get a longer leash from your GM, too. So he's, you know, I, I see Eli. His name was important, but it wasn't the whole story. It's why he went number one overall. Because really, if you look at the draft comparisons for all three of those quarterbacks going into 04, they were very similar guys. The problem is, A, teams didn't sell the farm back then to get franchise quarterbacks, thankfully. And two, there were only three teams in the top half of the draft that needed quarterbacks. New York, San Diego, and Pittsburgh. And it was the only time Pittsburgh draft that high for for yeah. another decade plus, other than till this year, till they traded up to go up there. I thought I thought that there was a knock on Rivers on that throwing motion. Well, there was, but he, the, but again, on Eli, it was decision making. You know, there was some some turnover issues with Ben. It was he played against lesser competition, so did he deserve? You know, coming out of the MAC, were his numbers inflated? Did he deserve to be right. in here? You know, or was it all a byproduct of lesser competition? So they, at the end of the day, all kind of had a knock mm-hmm. against them. So that's why they kind of all graded out the same. But they were clearly three three best quarterbacks in that class. Turned out to be three of the best quarterbacks for for another decade. Yeah. In all fairness, you know there there was clearly never a class again like that where you had you know what Rivers and Smith actually both turned out to be productive football players in different ways and different means. Rivers and Smith. Smith and Rogers. Oh, sorry. Okay. I was like, wait, a minute. I wasn't sure where you were going. So, yep. So you'll have those moments. Uh, but you know, like I said, you know, other than that, there aren't too many draft classes where you can find multiple quarterbacks. Uh, again, to to remind Bears fans, uh, Mahomes and Watson. Um, <laughs> he's he's liking the salt in the wound today. I, somewhat, yeah. You know, I don't want to have to do it, but I'd like to do it. It's who I am. Uh, but again, I said I, I still only have one of them as a Hall of Fame. I don't think if take name Manning away that he gets in, and I don't think Phil Rivers had it. I mean, yeah, you look at the numbers, but the numbers didn't lead to anything. I mean, didn't even lead to being playoff wins, to be honest. No, I mean he really only won those two years where that he won his two Super Bowls, and that beyond that, it was pretty, you know, mediocre. Rivers had won any Super Bowls. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of, of Eli. Oh. Yeah, I mean, he's Rivers is a l- little less than five hundred, but right around five hundred in in the playoffs. Uh, say, same as Eli Ben, yeah, little and, above it, but still not and, too far. And I will say, Rivers' chances go down if Tom Brady goes there, and they go to the Super Bowl next year. I, I don't see him going to Los San Diego because that's as close as I'm going to get to calling him the LA Chargers. <laughs> so I'm just going to start calling him Los San Diego because um, LA doesn't accept them either. Uh, they're just kind of there, uh, waiting to go somewhere else. If if there wasn't a billion and a half dollar stadium, I think they'd already be gone. Uh, but they need to pay for that stadium with sixteen games a year instead of just eight. Uh, any of you yeah. listening uh, want to join in? Tell us what you think, Eli, Ben, and Philip. Uh, you think if one, two, or three, or none Hall of Famers, you can give us a call. Uh, join the conversation. Five seven four two seven four nine three zero three. It's at the very top of the video post as well uh always willing to have you call in feel free to interrupt i will answer a phone call at any time uh keep the phone in my hand mainly because it's where all my notes are for the show (laughs) 
I need to get a, need to rearrange the area we record in, and maybe I'll put the whiteboard on the other side of the the video camera, and then I can just have it up there and don't have to look down at my phone so much. But that that would help a little bit, so I know where we're going sometimes. Uh, you, hey, I could give you the roadmap, and you still couldn't find where we're going. Uh, do does somebody forget our trip to to Cooperstown one year? No, I, I remember. The yeah. only road on the fucking map, and I couldn't uh, find I, it. I give him a map. I say, hey, we're looking for this road in this quadrant. Let's say B6 by, per chance. It is the only other road in the entire quadrant. Only road besides the one we're on. Nope, can't find it. Nowhere. So I have to pull off to the side of the road, and I find it, and I'm like, genius, you're never navigating a trip for me again. By the way, thanks for dating us for saying we had to actually use a map. Hey, hey, I, anybody watching this can tell I'm old. I've got a lot of gray hair. You have almost no hair. They see it. They, they get it. We're, we're, we're both, we're both in the middle age era of our lives. Okay. No ifs, ands, or buts. You didn't have to confirm it by saying we had the physical map in our hands. No, I can't tell the story of you getting us lost when there's one road in the entire (laughs) quadrant and having to circle back to it. Thank you for calling into off base sports. Uh, I could already tell who the caller is. Devin, what's up, man? Hang on a second. Um, it's not quite coming through. Let me see if I can tune it up a little bit so we can hear you. Can I? Can you hear us now? Um, oh, that's why it's not coming into the roadcaster. All right, how you doing, buddy? Uh, well, how about yourself? Doing good, man. I ain't, I ain't talked to you in a while. How's, how's everything been going? Ah, uh, all's well down in sunny Florida. Yeah, I bet. It's not sure. Not a. Uh, 20 degree in icy Indiana. That's for sure. Indeed. Indeed. I flood jump ships. <laughs> um, I happen to be listening in the conversation you're having regarding handicapping hall of fame odds. Um, and here's, here's a thought deposit. Uh, perhaps Philip rivers is the victim of bad timing. Um, you know, it's very possible given comparable numbers that he'd have greater consideration, you know, albeit that, uh, there were not so many comparable quarterbacks that at least have um, more metal, so to speak. I mean, uh, the immediate comparables would be uh, Cam Newton, Matt Ryan, but they're both sitting on an MVP award, and they've both been the Super Bowl uh, with similar numbers. Uh, and, of course, that leaves them kind of in a strange position because you have uh, Russell Wilson, who has won a Super Bowl, has been the two, um, and has flat-out superior numbers compared to him. On the other end of that, uh, you've got Eli, who, like you said, uh, over the last few years has really suffered at the hands of management as opposed to uh, his own abilities. Um, That creates an interesting question, nonetheless, when you compare them, because, I mean, are there truly apples to apples at that point? You know, it's hard to say. Uh, Let's stick with Rivers just for a second. Uh, Rivers probably gets in in time. Uh, he surely won't be in the first couple of years. There are just too many people that are going to retire ahead of him. That will be considered priority um, of that list. Surely Ben Roethlisberger. Um, and I would argue in time, Eli gets in as well, um, but definitely not first ballot. I mean, there are, there are still players on the kind of on the, on the wait, if you will, that will merit quicker consideration, especially some of the vets that have been waiting a while. Uh, but I actually will make a make a play here and say that all three will get in, but they'll just get in in varying time frames. I mean, because we have to consider that the Hall of Fame eligibility is, of course, contingent on player retirement, right? Or um, 
in the, you know, uh, forbiddable case uh, demise. So in that light, that does dictate eligibility and what the pool looks like. Um, so in that case, if Eli gets, you know, um, considered in a, what we would consider a flat period where there's just no one really, no one that really stands out, that enhances Eli's candidacy despite, you know, having the two Super Bowl appearances and otherwise a slightly above average career. Um, on the other hand, that would that do the same thing for Philip Rivers if Eli is in the same flat period? Uh, hopefully, given Eli's uh, window of retirement, you know, he'll be able to see a window either right before Roethlisberger, Rodgers and company or immediately following that will still garner consideration. Uh, but all things considered, yeah, I could, I, I'd make the play and say that all three would uh, give some sort of induction. And once again, that's just me just observing writer and voter eligible or eligible voter uh, habits. Um, if it were my personal take, um, I think I can make a play for two. Um, and unfortunately, that leaves uh, Eli out, actually. No, I, I think that's a, a very valid point. Um, and I hadn't even thought about that uh, in terms of who retires when. Because, you know, obviously, you're looking at a pretty narrow time frame here where you're going to have Drew Brees retiring. Tom Brady has mm-hmm. to retire eventually. Like you said, <laughs> Ben. At least allege. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ben, Philip, uh, Eli. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has already said he's towards the back end of his career. Uh, so, so I do think you, you run into a stacking problem like you've run into, uh, kind of with wide receivers, uh, recently oh, for sure. and, and even running backs to an extent have had to be stacked mm-hmm. up and wait some time. Uh, not that I'm saying, you know, Heinz Ward is a victim of being stacked up at wide receiver or anything, but, uh, if any hall of fame voters are listing anywhere, uh, anytime you have to, they have to change an entire rule of the game because a wide receiver goes out and blocks so bad that he breaks a linebacker's jaw. That guy's a hall of famer in my book. I'm just saying bias aside, you know, hall of fame is about telling the history of the game. And if you don't have the guy in there who, who was a legitimately a thousand catch receiver for a team that didn't throw a lot for most of his career. So he didn't get the advantage of inflated pass totals that some guys got. Uh, And again, they had to change the way the game is played because of him. I think that that to me is a Hall of Famer. So I like the idea thinking about it in terms of stacking because that could put Eli and uh, uh, Philip, you know, a little farther out. Although it depends how many of Philip's kids can vote by the time he gets there. <laughs> Maybe he just gets in on his whole family vote first off, first ballot. Uh, the, the book is in from Vegas. It's five to one that four of them will be voting eligible at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I have a question then because I was the sure. last two three years. If uh-huh. you look at the quarterbacks that played, mm-hmm. so. We know f- at least five, maybe six, are going to sure. go into the Hall of Fame. You got Breeze, you got mm-hmm. Brady, you've got mm-hmm. Ben, you've got Rodgers, mm-hmm. Wilson, and the way it's mm-hmm. looking, Mahomes. So you, sure, don't, you, yeah. don't have, you don't even have the other ones in the top six. How far right. down you, the ladder of mediocre are you going to be on your own time? Are we still going to allow people into the Hall of Fame? I mean, you can't even well, be, I, you're not even in the top mm-hmm. five during your own period. Sure. Well, I think I think the counter question there is what we consider to be their era. So are we insinuating that it has to be done on the most productive eight, nine years of a player's career or some variation of that? Or is that the entire body of work? Because in that case, then player overlap is inevitable. Um, and that's in a way unfair uh, to the inductee or the, at least the person for consideration to some extent. Not saying it's completely unfair because it's unavoidable. However, um, it does raise additional questions, right? Mm-hmm. 
so if we were if we were to critique Eli since 2012, there's no question. I think everyone would say no. Thanks for playing. You know, sucks uh, sucks what happened to you, but it is what it is. Um, but if you were to rate him I mean, to that point, the guy's a serious case. Right. I mean, he literally is the ironic giant killer while wearing a giant's uniform. So um, I, we used to have a running joke saying every time Tom Coughlin's job is up, he won the Super Bowl and keeps it. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> very at, true. At, from, from that perspective, if you were to rate his prime, I say that loosely, um, then Eli does have a serious case. Because, I mean, I would argue that his prime was from 2007 to roughly the end of 2014. And then after that, it just went dead south really quick. So let me ask this. When, at sure. what point did you have uh, Tom Brady in as a Hall of Famer? After which Super Bowl? Oh, goodness. Um, I don't think it was any surprise after the second win. I mean, the guy was on a trajectory. The model was working. It was hard to see that train uh, stopping anytime soon. And then, frankly, let's be, let's be fair. Uh, because the playoffs are structured how they are, right? Uh, mm-hmm. One conference plays the other. I mean, we see that as a theme in major sports, right? right? There was no one coming out of the NFC stopping that train at the time, you know, the early run. Um, we've seen some juggernauts develop, but ultimately the system adapts well enough and the players then begin to play. So we see a case here, and it's very, uh, I would liken it to the San Antonio Spurs model that they've used in the last generation where you create this baseline model that's so efficient that you can plug people in and then they begin to shine because they excel at executing the model. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you look at that and you say, well, you know, Tom won the last couple, you know, uh, what seemed to be fumes and <laughs> right. a couple bad tires. I mean, the, he barely drove that car into the gas station, you know, to get it filled up. Uh, somehow he pulls it off because ultimately players still have to play. Even if the model is flawless, I mean, I would say flawless to some, you know, at that point, it was, it was really good. Um, but unfortunately, age is also caught up. Injuries catch up to you. Uh, you know, the, the fact that a nearly 40-year-old Tom Brady could win two Super Bowls um, at that point. I mean, the performance I think of really is uh, John Elway uh, at the end of his career winning back-to-back Super Bowls. You know, it just the display of experience, knowing exactly what to do and when to do it. Um, and remember, football is determined by one point. You win by one, you win it all. So right. uh, the idea that he knew how to get just enough says, oh, speaks volumes about the model and speaks volumes about how he excelled within that model. Uh, so for me, I, I'd say after the second Super Bowl, you could just kind of see the writing on the wall. I mean, people are starting to tense up a little bit thinking, uh, this thing ain't going to stop anytime soon. And of course, after, I, you know, the first Super Bowl moment, people are like, oh, it's so great that they won. This is wonderful. You know, for the season, I'm a fan. They win the second one, all of a sudden the Darth Vader effect takes place. And now you start to have more naysayers than fans. The third one, people are just tired of you, you know, <laughs> right. and they want a new, they want a new uh, underdog to root for. Now, now add four and five to that, <laughs> you know, um, I think at this point we're at six, right? Yeah, you got six. Uh, so. yeah, they're six and three, <laughs> six and three. <laughs> I mean, that, that is insane. Right. And, Are you and, believe? No, he's yeah, six please. and two. No, I mean, that's silly. They lost twice to the Giants, once to the Eagles. Yeah. Okay. And in all fairness, I I was sick of the Patriots long before because they don't even make that first Super Bowl <laughs> if Tom Brady doesn't sure. get hurt in the AFC Championship game against the Steelers and Drew Brees That's comes true. in and starts throwing darts. Or Drew Brees, Drew Bloodsell. You Drew know, because yeah. Tom Brady, to me, really was along for the ride for the first three Super Bowls. Sure. Did you One, say the Patriots lost to the Eagles? Yeah. Remember Philly special? 
Okay, that's mm-hmm. right. Big Blake. Richard, Nick Foles. I was thinking back to the Come other on. one with Donovan. That's what I was trying to. Th- I was thinking back to that one where Andy Reid was there. I was going to use that again against you as Andy Reid choking away a Super Bowl. Hey, he, Donovan McNabb's not his quarterback thrown up in the huddle this time. <laughs> I think we're all right. I, I do have a quick question about that. I heard you taking uh, kind of gauging uh, Andy Reid's odds there. I was wondering what Vegas would say about the likelihood of him pounding a cheesesteak at halftime during the game. You know? <laughs> uh, I think I looked. It was plus twelve fifty. <laughs> Ooh, that's so high. I'll take a chance on that. I mean, I'm getting my money back. <laughs> I'm just saying, if, if they were anywhere than Miami, it might be a little higher. But since they're in Miami. Sure, yeah. Now, now, if you ask, you know, odds of having a Cuban, whole different. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> hey, there's a couple good Philly, Philly cheesesteak spots now, surprisingly. Everyone comes to the tax haven, you know. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but for sure, um, I, I think you really um, – eliminated a, a serious conversation that's going to be had, you know, and it will have to be had because uh, we often point towards the trophies, right? As a basis, really, uh, we can, I hate to admit it, as a baseline, it's specifically in football um, as what determines greatness because, uh, frankly, at that point, it truly is any given Sunday, right? Uh, and the what we seem, what we at least name or dub underdogs can always, you know, perform their best, can have stellar standout performances, and next thing you know, uh, you've got yourself a Jimmy Garoppolo who's who was groomed uh, to be great, you know, uh, ends up signing a, a fat contract out west, and now is proving how how great he's been all along. I I would say I don't know if we know how great he is yet. I'd want to. Yeah. Say, I, I'm putting him in that Tannehill category. You have to throw the ball more than 15 yeah. times in a playoff game <laughs> for me to say you're great. You mean seven doesn't work for you? I mean, I, I mean, it's well, don't get me wrong. Know. That first mm-hmm. first Steelers playoff run with Ben Roethlisberger in two thousand four, he wasn't averaging <laughs> much more than a, a dozen pass Double attempts pass. either. You know, uh, that guy was playing like Y.A. Tittle out there. I mean, he you wasn't know, shovel pass, punt and shuttle. <laughs> he just he'd throw the ball fifty yards when he got a chance. They just didn't give him that many chances. Let's say were seven chances a game. <laughs> it's like yeah, uh, <laughs> no, no, we got better. We got uh, Jerome Bettis here. Just keep handing him the ball. It's fine. Oh, absolutely. Just, absolutely. just keep doing that. Good. You know, so okay, so that leads to another potential question: uh, Does Ladanian Tomlinson's performance in San Diego during his days there significantly impact Philip Rivers' uh, his candidacy for the Hall of Fame? Because uh, let's be honest, you got you usually have two primary choices considering offense: you either throw it or you hand it off. So does that affect you know the overall candidacy? Because choices were made there. Uh, you know, LT obviously had a wonderful run in San Diego. Uh, however, those are opportunities that could have been in the air. I think. So, do we consider that? I think you ha- you have to kind of under normal circumstances, you would say, yeah, mm-hmm. it does. But mm-hmm. Ladanian Tomlinson was very much like like Le'Veon Bell in his peak with the Steelers, where he was mm-hmm. so multi dimensional that he actually oh, sure. helped his young quarterback by giving him mm-hmm. that dump off safety valve. You know, you're talking about a guy who who set single season records for touchdowns, not just by oh, yeah. running them in. But by having, mm-hmm. you know, almost, you know, 10-ish passing touchdowns a year, you know, receiving touchdowns right. a year as well. So, you you know, right. kind of goes back to my point earlier. He always had a, a number one type receiver, a top of three tight mm-hmm. end, a number two receiver, and a, a fairly good pass catching running back, you know, that, that made his life a lot easier in San Diego. I think people mm-hmm. people have painted a narrative of the uh, – there were a few years where Phillip Rivers had maybe – a less than ideal set of weapons, but it was very few for his career. Um, and he definitely hasn't. Oh, sure. Yeah. Hasn't, you know, made as many, I, I guess the, the thing for me is you, when you go to put together those video montages for, for their candidacy, mm-hmm. you're going to have 
50, 100 iconic plays of Ben Roethlisberger making escape, making late game play, you know, wins, you know, we, we mm-hmm. you know, you're going to see great plays in playoffs. You're going to see, of course, the San Antonio Holmes throw in the oh, Super Bowl. Course, yeah. You know, you've got those iconic plays. Eli has those iconic plays. I don't feel like Philip Rivers. And like I said, I think at the end of the day, he gets in. I, I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he just doesn't have that same level of iconic play to even put on the, the highlight reel where, where you have those moments where you can say, see, here's, you know, it, stealing from the NCAA basketball tournament, he doesn't have that one shining moment, let alone a reel of one shining moments. You mean the one when Kenny, while Kenny Long is a Michael Donner singing, this is it in the background? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, okay. So let's entertain that. So to be iconic, you have to be put in opportunities and situations to be iconic. And of course, one very um, glaring bugaboo is that Philip Rivers has been, albeit underwhelming in his, what, one playoff performance? One, maybe two? No. Um, he's... I thought it was only, he only made the playoffs a couple of years. So he's either two or three, I thought. Nope. Right. And he's and going into the divisional, right? Like, it hasn't been anything crazy. I thought he made one, one AFC. AFC championship game. Maybe one. So I'm, I'm going to take a pot shot and say it was while well, Schonheimer was there in North Turner. Um, and so we're, that means we're going back a few years. Yeah. So he's four and four in the playoffs. So he's been there four times, which again, <laughs> I, I, Mercy. I, I think you have to say is an indictment on him uh, because, A, that's, kind of the standard by which quarterbacks are judged and again mm-hmm. when you look at his his early career stretch there when he had jackson and gates and ladanian mm-hmm. tomlinson and that defense mm-hmm. was top two top three every year you know mm-hmm. it was wasn't like they were a one-dimensional team by any stretch of the imagination if you're not making the playoffs with that setup well yeah i mean they definitely they were far than they were way they were definitely multi-dimensional and there were a couple years there where it seemed like they were completely unbeatable even considering new england um, however, we also have to accept the fact that San Diego is one of the most poorly managed teams in, in, in all sports. Uh, or now, I guess, L.A. Chargers, right? Uh, uh, I, I, I call them San Diego. I'm, I'm sticking with it. Because L.A. is not their permanent home. It, it can't be. They're just not embraced in that city. But Yeah, yeah I, it I, seems kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah. I, I guess the problem is, is when you're in the NFL – the, mm-hmm. There's always a standard by which the 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 worst managed sports team in history of all sports Cleveland. is in your league. So you know everybody else kind of gets bumped up a level or two <laughs> from that. And I I do think that kind of mm-hmm. that goes mm-hmm. against San Diego. It, Wasn't you know, Marty Schottheimer fired after a 14 win season? Yeah, yes, he was. Yeah. I um you know he took the brunt for Phil Rivers collapsing. Mm-hmm. Lovey Smith was fired after a playoff appearance, or no, eleven and five season. Yeah, like we that. didn't make the play- playoffs. We but did, they were 11 but he's eleven and five. So I mean, <laughs> but I mean, but I think at that more, point that mm-hmm. was enough years for Marty, where they're like, okay, you're putting up amazing regular season wins, and we're one and out in the playoffs again. I think it got to be okay. We're going to try and make a change and, and move forward, you know. And of course, then they went backwards. But eight and eight. So let me ask we can you live this. with eight and eight every year. Oh, for sure. I mean, <laughs> so let me ask you this. Who's going to want to leave their comfortable coaching situation and go to, at the time, San Diego following a 14-win campaign with an early exit? I mean, that just seems like a tall order. That To me, that will be a red flag thing. That there's something here at the top that's going wrong. Well, it's, yeah, it did. But there's guys with big enough egos saying, I can fix it. Well, except oh. didn't there, they end up with Norv Turner? Uh, I mean, who, you know, who is great if he's given an assignment, but being that being an HC, he's he's not, just overwhelmed. Yeah, not his gig. No, 
No. That was not a... I mean, heck, even saving in Miami looks better than that. Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> Nick Saban in Miami is one of my favorite what ifs because he, you know, he was his own worst enemy. If we want to talk about a, oh sure, a, a football, people want to put him in that football deity era now, and it's like he's the guy who chose Dante Culpepper over Drew Brees. Like, <laughs> Saban lied, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not leaving. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> you know, beyond the even, you know, not being truthful when he was leaving, I don't have a problem with that, mm-hmm. but. Like to try and spin it like, well, they didn't set him up for success. He chose his quarterback and he chose poorly. Yeah. I, I did he Dante blame, was a, didn't he blame the medical staff too for not clearing that arm? So the medical staff said that mm-hmm. Dante Culpepper had a better chance of regaining pre injury performance levels than Drew Brees because of the shoulder injury, because at the time people hadn't bounced back from the shoulder injury. And they're right. Dante Culpepper probably was closer to pre-injury because the year before the injury, even he had dipped down in his performance because he didn't have Chris Carter mm-hmm. and Randy Moss anymore. Kind of oh, sure. seen yeah. who, he, who he was without the two best wide receivers, you know, two, it's very dynamic to some. And they're right. Drew Brees did not regain pre-injury form uh, when he got back from surgery. He, he was better than he ever was. He left it. <laughs> yeah. So technically, the medical staff did not miss there. <laughs> Yeah, no, they're right. He said, "No, you're never, you're not going to be good again." He said, "Hold my beer and <laughs> rest is five thousand plus season passing history." So yeah, I mean, you know, th- there's a lot of great what ifs in sports, but you know, sure, you know, yeah. Does Ben Roethlisberger get get the benefit of probably playing for through through what we would call the history of sports? Probably the best organization throughout the history of sports. Oh, absolutely, and and, and easily the second best organization in football through the entire period of his career. Because you're not, mm-hmm. I mean, what New England accomplished in the last twenty years is hard, hard to overlook. Whether you like them or not, whether you think they cheated a bunch and they did or not, um, you know that that their stability breeds breeds success. And it's where I laugh hilariously at those folks who live in the mistake by the lake. Um, you know, they get Haslam, who was a minority owner of the Steelers, and mm-hmm. then he comes there and every other year he's firing his GM and every year he's firing his coach. It's like, didn't you learn anything while you were owners, co-owner with the Roonies? I mean, granted, he owned a small percentage, but you'd still think you'd absorb a little of that. Like, mm-hmm. maybe if I don't fire my coach every year, my players might get to know the system and perform better. I mean, granted, they hired Freddie Kitchens, and that was terrible. I was going to say, too, he but... also looked at the caliber that he's hiring to begin with. He's not hiring grade-A stock either. But, Very true. But was yeah. Ma- Mike Tomlin wasn't Mike Tomlin when they, the Steelers hired him either. Oh, he was known as Omar F. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, granted, but he retroactively, football... we need to give Mike Tomlin a couple of Coach of the Year awards for the last few years. Oh, I, I agree. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's done a Ross- lot with... Ben Roethlisberger Little. gets in the Hall of Fame just because dealing with Antonio Brown for what four years? I, I think Mike Tomlin gets in the <laughs> Hall of Fame for that too. Jesus, yeah. And, and, and to be fair, Tomlin's built up a good enough resume to be considered at this oh, point. I you you'd be very hard to keep him out. And yeah, I mean, again, you're talking what a 13, 12, 13 year stretch now with mm-hmm. no losing seasons. I mean, it's it's unrivaled, impressive. For, particularly for a first time head coach. You know, you get all those cliches from these teams. Well, we need a veteran coach, and we need somebody with experience. No, you need to you need to interview better and hire the right guy. I, I, I think that's where the Rooney family has excelled. Is everybody yeah. expected them to go with Ken Wisenhunt or uh, you know Dick LeBeau when they brought in um, 
Tomlin for the interview and they thought, oh, they're just satisfying the Rudy role. And who knows? Maybe that was the intent. But once they had that interview, they're like, he's our guy. Uh, nobody else is getting a chance to interview this guy. He's our guy. He's going mm-hmm. to be that guy. Uh, but Probably clicked, yeah. You know, also sometimes, I think too too many times, and it's what you've seen in Cleveland, is, is impatience with coaches. Uh, oh, absolutely. And, and, yeah. and uh, I think we also need to give uh, Marvin Lewis a Coach of the Year award retroactively oh man because what's happening yeah. cincinnati now is like holy how did you keep that shit together that, that was yeah. impossible any otherwise i i absolutely agree and, and it's kind of funny um actually you hit on a very interesting subject so I, I was just thinking in my mind as we were discussing candidacy and models um great models create of course uh great performances right but most importantly, they usually create consistency per player at a higher rate than atypical or asymmetrical model, um, which means that players given more opportunities to be great, more statistically speaking, will be great, right? Players who are given an opportunity to be good or to perform, more often than not, will be will figure it out how to perform, will be coached into how to achieve you know good performance and be given more opportunities for consideration. So... If you think about the major sports hall of fames, they're stacked with players from usually a cloister of organizations. Uh, and so, when we were talking about the three quarterbacks in particular, that that, that I kind of threw um, a mental, I guess uh, I, I use this analogy a lot in the theater of my mind or a metaphor. Sorry, um, how this would play out if given an opportunity to play in a similar model. So, would would Philip Rivers achieve similar numbers in the same in Pittsburgh, right? Uh, would, for that matter, Eli Manning have achieved some numbers? Because uh, ultimately, the goal is to win a championship. If you do that throwing for 2,500 yards, if you do that throwing for 5,000, that's on that's on you. Um, at the end of the day, no one cares as long as you hoist the trophy. So knowing the bias towards Super Bowl trophies, has Philip won two Super Bowls but not passed for as many yards in Pittsburgh would he have achieved more significant consideration in the long run? I mean, I think the answer is inherently yes, simply by virtue of having two trophies, you know, despite maybe being above average at best, but we will never know that because it's a huge hypothetical. Well, see, I would disagree. If he wasn't the reason for the, for the Super Bowls, then mm-hmm. I still think the answer would be no. Trent Duffer's got a Super okay. Bowl and nobody's talking about him ever for Hall of Fame. I think football is, is uniquely mm-hmm. weird in that. that y- mm-hmm. You're right. They do look at Super Bowl wins as a qualifier for, for greatness and the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite the fact that it's the, the, the team sport right there, I would say, with hockey. Although absolutely, yeah. where one individual has maybe the least amount of impact mm-hmm. on winning, unless you're a goaltender. Goal, yeah. I mean, because even, even, even when Gretzky could only do so much, Mario Lemieux, my guy, who I truly believe mm-hmm. was the greatest hockey player of all time, given that in his prime, mm-hmm. other than when he came back to save Pittsburgh in hockey, averaged two points a game, which even Mario, you know, Wayne Gretzky didn't do, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and was robbed of significant years due to cancer and back injuries, uh, you mm-hmm. know. But, you know, even they can only do so much on the ice, but goalie being the one exception, if you're a Patrick Waugh or a Martin Brodeur, then obviously you can carry teams to finals as Martin Brodeur did and Patrick Waugh did. But, you know, football's kind of similar. A great quarterback Mm -hmm. can be a great quarterback and without the right pieces can't get anywhere. Uh, All you have to look Mm -hmm. at is, you know, uh, 
I'm going to 1998 uh, Minnesota with Randall Cunningham, Absolutely. Yes. You know, who a went into camp as a punter competing for the <laughs> punter position and ended up winning yeah. the quarterback position due to injuries. But two, you gave him some of those most dynamic weapons football's ever seen. And won 15 it, games in the regular season, 15 and one, you know, a mm-hmm. chip shot field goal away from with a kicker who hadn't missed a field goal in two years away from in going to Tampa a Super Bowl. All places. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so, you know, it, it's weird, you know, w- what that would have done for Randall Cunningham, who I always feel like deserved, deserved to be closer to the hall of fame than he got, mm-hmm. because I think he got pushed out of, of Philadelphia strictly because they just weren't that good as a team during that stretch. And they tried mm-hmm. to blame him, even though he did more than almost any quarterback at the time could do, you know, but he can't, you just can't carry a team as one person in football. If your defense Correct. is bad, no matter what you do on offense, it's not enough. If you're a great quarterback and you have no wide receivers, no offensive line, you're not doing anything. So mm-hmm. I think the standard of using Super Bowl trophies is is fundamentally flawed, yet it is what they use particularly for quarterbacks. Uh, as right. they say, you get too much credit and, and too much blame. And I, I think Eli and Philip kind of exemplified both the extremes of that. Whereas Ben mm-hmm. has probably not had, you know, too much blame. Uh, but he's had, you know, for, for whatever reason, all the Steeler fans like to blame our offensive coordinators and our bad offensive line. Because he had oh, some sure. pretty, pretty bad offensive lines in there for a stretch, too, in the middle of his mm-hmm. career. Well, but, Todd Haley's not a great offensive coordinator either. Hey, I mean. No, he's not. <laughs> I'm not going to make your argument. I don't think Randy Fickner could draw up a play if his life depended sure. on it. But <laughs> yeah. well, I'm asking if we keep going Super Bowls for the Hall of Fame. Joe sure. Flacco. Oh, God, no. Yeah. But he has the stretch where he played them f- what, four games he, he, but out it, of his mm-hmm. mind. He has the Super Bowl MVP. He has the mm-hmm. Super Bowl. But it's one. Mm-hmm. Typically for a quarterback, you at least have so, to get to two before. It, it's two gets you in the discussion. Three okay. of there are very few quarterbacks with multiple wins and three appearances who haven't gotten in and three wins pretty much locks you into the hall of fame as a quarterback. If you, you've got three Super Bowls, you're in. Uh, I think, I know that's where Devin uh, messed up my uh, mm-hmm. analogy earlier when I asked him when he thought Tom Brady, cause I was waiting for him to say three because the first two, he didn't, he was there, but there wasn't his led team. He was led by defense running and the two yard pass. No, I mean, I, I would easily oh, say sure. it. And, and Tom Brady again, kind of proves the point of how fluky winning playoff games is when some of those, you know, realistically, they should be mm-hmm. right at 500 in the Super Bowl. Their plus minus is abysmally low. They have not blown out. They've not won a touchdown by more than seven points. Super Bowl. Super, Super Bowl. <laughs> Super Bowl. Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Super Bowl. <laughs> Not that I have any worries with our download numbers of anybody worrying about our trademark infringement at all. Uh, so please share this with people far and wide. Get people to download it. Granted, our last one we did live like this, we got over 600 views. So that one too bad. Oh, but, fantastic. Uh, you know, that also helps that I uh, run one of the largest Facebook fan, podcast fan groups for the Pat McAfee Show 2.0. Any of you 11,000 mm-hmm. maniacs watching, much love. Appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, feel free to share any of your stuff on there as well. I don't mind as long as it's not over top. We had one guy who share like something three, four times a day. It's like, no, that's too much. <laughs> Once or twice I'll a week, sure. you're fine. You know, other than that, no, not at all. I'll be sure to share a very moving mini series I've developed on the Library of Congress 
sorting and organizing system. <laughs> Who doesn't appreciate a solid catalog? Um, hey, you know, the, <laughs> in that group, enough vitamins might be had. They might enjoy it. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Murder miniseries tend to be more more of our our focus. Uh, you know, the Aaron Hernandez. <laughs> speaking of Patriots and Super Bowls, you know, the Aaron Hernandez one that just came out. I guess. I get why I, I, I don't get why they made it. I, I, hmm. you know, watching it, I don't feel like there was anything that anybody who had paid attention to the case hadn't heard. I guess maybe it's a way to get it out to people who hadn't paid attention, you know, cause I feel like by the time he got arrested and then got to trial, it had kind of gotten back to just being sports fans only. And I think getting it on Netflix reminds you that, Hey, Hey, you know, the, the NFL once upon a time had a monster in its midst. Um, although once, once? Uh, I'm just saying, I think it's their way of reminding you. Although they definitely misspoke in the miniseries, because uh, I can't remember who said it, but they made some comment about uh, Aaron Hernandez being the first player to have committed double murder in the offseason and then played a whole season in the NFL. And I'm like, does anybody remember Ray Lewis at all? I thought they, I, said, I mean, I thought they said only player, too. Yeah, they did. Okay. Yeah, they did. It's like, like they forgot Ray Lewis existed. Um, you know, two guys I would never go out to a nightclub with, by the way, Aaron Hernandez or Ray Lewis. Well, it sounds like you'd be pretty safe as long as you are on their side. Well, yeah, but if you accidentally spill a drink on them or something, <laughs> bad things can happen. Um, uh, so I, I, you know, I it, there was a, a a lot of rumor, you know, a lot of talk about his personal private life that I don't think needed to be out there. I, I mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if they were trying to garner sympathy or paint a more complete picture of him as a person and explaining how he got to where he got. It's the but, dollar sign. Somebody somewhere got money for it. That's, oh, yeah, that's, that's the only reason it came out. 100%. That made money. I mean, people watched it, but it's like he's still a monster. You know, there there are plenty of people who've had CTE. There's 100 and, at the point, 112 brains had been tested. 111 were positive for CTE. He's the only one of those 111 that anybody that we know killed somebody, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like that doesn't excuse it. You know, he's not the first NFL player to have had a single parent household, although his dad didn't die till he was in high school. So he actually had his dad around it. Not the first guy in the NFL who had an asshole dad, you know, like I get it. You you're trying to mitigate to, to an extent his behavior, but like he still made very terrible decisions. Mm-hmm. And again, th- those are the three mm-hmm. we know of. Are there more that we, nobody ever figured out, you know? Oh, sure. Yeah. Ruth? Well, uh, Rick Ruth never played in the NFL ever oh. again after he tried to kill, well, killed his uh, uh, yeah. girlfriend at the time and almost killed his son, um, mm-hmm. who Rick Ruth is now out of jail, by the way, if people yes, don't realize that. You're kidding uh, me. No, because I was living in Charlotte oh, at the yeah. time and they were doing a ton of articles about him getting ready to get out and the grandmother who t- raised the son and the son and whether they were going to even go see him when he got out and what that was going to be like. And I, I don't remember if he did end up going to be there the day his, his, I don't, I don't know what I want to call him is the, the man whose sperm created his life got out of prison. I think that's the appropriate word for, for somebody like Ray Carruth. And, and again, you hope maybe he learned from it and, and grew and, you know, he's done 20, almost 20 years in prison. So hopefully he's yeah. a better person coming out. Cause he lost everything. Wow. I mean, that was That's been 20 years. Sure. Mm-hmm. You're old, Todd. We covered this. But, wow. I don't I even think it was 20 years. Wow. Yeah. It's been, been, been more than now. That was in the late nineties. We were still in high school when that happened. Wow. Wow. Oh, so yeah. 
been a, been a while. Been a minute. Um, so yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Yes, the NFL has had some despicable human beings in the NFL, but typically it's because they're just despicable human beings. I mean, again, Aaron Hernandez grew up in Bristol, Connecticut. He didn't grow Sorry, up. Like, he the didn't most shady environment uh, you know, he, <laughs> world. Yeah, he didn't grow up in Brooklyn, the Bronx, or any of that back in the nineties for eighties or not, early nineties. You know, he, he was, lived in suburbia in a two parent household for most of his life with a brother who was an, an ideal role model for how to go to college, play athletics, and do whatever. And he got a forty million dollar contract. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it was that Florida Gator team. I'm telling you. Half, uh, didn't uh, half of them end up in jail? I'm not. I'm not. I don't think I'm exaggerating that number. And and you had Tib Tebow as the ringleader. I, I, <laughs> most yeah. interesting group of yeah. humans ever put together. That's for sure. But again, that that I, I think that would be the one thing you can kind of take away is is that none of his teammates at Florida, none of you know, in in New England saw it because when he was there, he was mm-hmm. so professional. He was there on time. He was there. He studied. He helped lead the room. He was productive. He worked hard. Other other than the Patriots buying him a trap house, didn't know about that or renting him Fair. a trap apartment. Like well, that might have been a sign to the Patriots that something is might not be right in this guy's life. I was gonna say, didn't sound like a lot of his teammates hung out with him either. No, I mean, no, he, he seemed like he was quite the lone wolf. Yeah, and and and, and in all fairness, you know, uh, Bill Belichick had an inside information, and he was told not to draft him because the worst thing that would happen to Aaron Hernandez is him to go back by home. Urban told, told him flat out. He he said it. And it was something I had heard before where urban had had said it because I'm uh, for, for an Notre Dame guy, I really am not a big urban Meyer apologist, but uh, you know, (laughs) he, he did, you know, he's made it pretty clear that he told Bill Belichick and pretty much all those teams in that area of the country. If you bring him home, it will not be good for him. And it blew up in their face in the mm-hmm. worst kind of way. But well, man, if no, I it, ever it get married, I need to find someone like his wife. And I need. I thought it was a girlfriend. I don't think they were married. Uh, either way, you oh. get the point. And, and somebody like his aunt. I need some. I need to be some of those ride or die people in my life. <laughs> Good. Body type, Sam. <laughs> like. No, no, you know what? Yeah, I understand. I got breast cancer. This might kill me. Not telling you why, how that truck got there. Not a chance. D- don't know. Some yeah, just woke up. It was there. Don't know how else it got to my truck. Know anything about anything else? Nope. You going to testify at all? Nope. <laughs> you realize you're not going to get your cancers. <laughs> don't care. All right. <laughs> you, did you take a gun safe out of the house? I mean, I took a box. What, what did you do with it? I threw it in a dumpster. Which one? I don't know. There are a lot of stopping shops around here. <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ. Like, but but that, at the end of the day, is probably the biggest thing I took away from that. I mean, I knew what his girlfriend mm-hmm. did by the time he got arrested, but understanding how much those two enabled him, you know, because mm-hmm. because even he went down to his grave blaming his mom for what he became, for his mom mm. dating his uncle through marriage or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. or his cousin's husband or whatever that other I think it was his cousin right the 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 surrogate mother that refused yeah. to you know testify I think so you know when he you know within months of, of her, her his dad dying but like to blame that again you're just looking for excuses for what you did mm-hmm. like that that didn't turn you into a murderer plenty of people have been through crazy shit like that I mean typically they all live in Kentucky and did coal for a living but still 
if you're listening to Kentucky, no offense. Yeah, you know who you are. You guys keep voting for Mitch McConnell. I'm not apologizing to you. Uh, Kentucky last in politics, first in chicken. I mean, our hearts. (laughs) Um, I, I I mean, I could talk football forever, but I I think we're already closing at hour 15. Um, I think the one thing I did want to get to uh, Mm -hmm. before we wrap up this episode is baseball Hall of Fame announcements. Oh, we oh I was waiting for it. <laughs> well, wait, before you say not to, what do you think about the Hall of Fame selling people's plaques as they're remodeling right now? They're selling well, the they're, re- they're re- doing a thirty million dollar remod and they're selling some of the older plaques because they're gonna have newer plaques put up there. Oh, as long as they're replacing it, I don't Oh yeah, I mean yeah. Those things eventually do get old and decay. You know. That's true. So I, I can understand that. I I mean I get that they should I mean they're brass or copper or whatever, so they're gonna mm-hmm. last forever, but you know, you can get a nicer, newer one, more polished, a little better picture, whatever. I don't have a problem with that. Okay. I mean, I well, think the know. the family, the living family members of these players should have the first chance to buy them at a yes. fixed cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shouldn't be, you know, any more than the replacement value or less than the replacement value of them. Uh, but just in general, the, the Hall of Fame, obviously, I, I'm over the unanimous, not unanimous debate, so... The fact that one person left Jeter sure. off doesn't really phase me. Um, you know, that for me, it, really the farce that, that showed it out to be what it was, was Greg Maddox. Once Greg mm-hmm. Maddox wasn't unanimous, like, it, you guys are just a farce. Mm-hmm. You I, know, I'm glad Mo Rivera was unanimous because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, there, there's something magical. And, you know, in, in the light of today's uh, baseball world of, you know, the Astros stealing signs, the Red Sox stealing signs. And to me, at the end of the day, there's nothing more hilarious than by far and and not even close. The greatest relief pitcher of all time having one pitch. He could have literally told you, hey, I'm throwing the cutter again. And you still couldn't mm-hmm. do, you know, 99.9% of guys couldn't do anything with it. I mean, his numbers mm-hmm. in the playoffs are, are ridiculous. Uh, I mean, more people have, have walked on the face of the moon than scored in the playoffs yeah. against Mo Rivera. It just so happens that uh, Luis Gonzalez and Tony Womack are partially responsible for that population. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, for, they showed everybody the playbook, though, too. Choke up. You don't have to hit home Absolutely. runs off this guy if you're going to hit him. Wait, wait. Yeah, just put it in play. What well, Luis Gonzalez was not called choking up. He was swinging with the knob of the bat. He was so far up out in that bat. Hey, it, hey that's how far you can choke up if you want. But again, you know, you know what's going to happen. He's throwing you the cutter like... Again, can steal a sign from him. Didn't matter. Right. <laughs> I'm throwing one right. pitch and one pitch every time. <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> well, I lo- try and hit it. Now try and hit it again. <laughs> could could have literally been been the end of of Major League Two, where he's just like, I'm not even giving you signs. Here we go. <laughs> you know what it is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was gonna say he said his was Maddox. Mine was Junior. When he did not get in unanimously, I was like, "That's it." Oh, sure. Nobody at this point, nobody should because if Junior didn't get in unanimously, who should then? Well, I think what happened with Junior, unfortunately, um, is people a always remember the most recent performance, whether oh, sure. it's All right or not. You know, the, the, just the old broken down Junior instead of him clearly being the best position player in baseball at the time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he he got caught up with the steroid era. 
because he wasn't on steroids because he broke down like an older player should. Right. And people Correct. forgot, hey, wait, this is what the end of your, your <laughs> mid and end of your 30s should look like as a ball player. You shouldn't suddenly right. put on 40 pounds of muscle mass, your head go three hat sizes, and you start hitting 70 home runs a year um, when you could never hit, you know, you'd barely broke 40 before. Are you trying to you, you make that more general, please? Because you really making it sound like you're targeting one person there. You could pick, or any, you know, Sammy have Sosa, a hitting Mark coach job for the Florida Marlins, or I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I mean, granted, yes. <laughs> I thought we were playing. Who am I? No, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think we've covered. And the worst part is, is, is with Bonds, it was all ego. Like he was, oh, a, sure, he was a mm-hmm. Hall of Famer before he ever touched the steroids. Absolutely, yes. But, yes. but his ego would not let him get passed up by McGuire and Sosa while they were on steroids. It's like that's why. Mm. If you could have lived with it. You'd be in the Hall of Fame like Ken Griffey Jr., but you couldn't. And I hope to God that you and Roger Cummins never get in. Because mm. you both – and here's the thing. I, you know, growing up, I, I was born in 1981. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I got to experience the Bash Brothers in all of their glory. And mm-hmm. the way Jose Canseco was treated at the end of his career and the way he was treated after he wrote Juiced was abysmal mm-hmm. by the sport of baseball. And all these people, oh, he's lying. He's not talking – truth nobody from baseball has ever said hey we're sorry about the way we treated you we're sorry mm-hmm. that we called you a liar when you turned out to be absolutely right in every single mm-hmm. one of these cases um and you know our bad um you know so the way he was treated to me has tuned me off to those guys if anybody out of that group deserves to get into Jose Canseco to well I think you've highlighted a very serious flaw in baseball culture and that's that the media controls almost everything. You know, so if you're not a media darling, you can kiss a unanimous vote goodbye. You can kiss, you pretty much can, get, can kiss, you know, consideration beyond your first eligibility stretch goodbye. Uh, I mean, it's it's a sad reality, but we, as a baseball fan, I'll speak for myself, I would love to take a more discerning look at voting eligibility and who those parties should be. I think the media should be a much smaller proportion of voting eligible uh, members for the hall. Well, there's a lot of that. Sorry, go ahead. And as I say, we've lo- also learned that we can't trust former players either. All you have to Absolutely. look is the veterans committee. Some of the people they've let in, uh, you know, not to, to name names of, of, of Yinzer legends, uh, but you know, Phil Yavstremsky absolutely had an amazing moment, but not a hall of famer by any stretch of the imagination. And and then when you add that he got in and it took Ron Santo as long as he did, was was abysmal sure. given the time. And again, it, you you have to look at Hall of Fames for what they are. They are museums that tell the history of the game. Oh and, sure, and yeah, you I should mean, you, contributors. Yeah. To me, you have to look at can you tell the history of the sport without this person? And you know, a lot of times, a lot of people who get in, you probably could. To be honest, you know, they get in and it's like, I, I'm going to use Larry Walker for an example. Oh sure, okay. I, I could one hundred percent tell the history of the game uh, without without Larry Walker, and and the perfect counterpoint to Larry Walker is Don Mattingly not being in. Their stats are almost identical, their careers are almost identical, and Larry Walker played half of his career in Coors Field at the time when I could have walked up and hit a home run in Coors Field. Uh, well, so that's an interesting comparison. I would argue that Walker was respectively better at his position than Mattingly was. I mean, I think people. I, 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 go ahead. I'm sorry. I think people forget how good of a defensive first baseman Don Mattingly was. Oh no, no. I mean, 
Well, you also remember the timing conversation we had? Don Mattingly's contemporary across the boroughs with Keith Hernandez. Right. But I would Who say. Who wasn't in either. <laughs> right. But I would say that Don Mattingly had a more consistent, long ranging career, including an MVP. Granted, I think Larry Walker ended up with one. He did, yeah, 96, I believe. But, you know, again, that was in Colorado. To me, that's. Mm-hmm. you ha- And in that era of Colorado, when there were no humidors or any attempts to keep the ball in the park. And, you know, it, it, to me, that is sure, what it yeah. is. Um, but you have to look at the stats as they are. The guy was actually better on the road than he was at course. He was, but. So he actively, with the bat, was debunking this idea that he could only hit, you know, in Denver. But I think now, some, Vinny Castillo was a different story, but. I think you also have to look that Walker's numbers were, when you look at his career home and road splits, I mean, I'd have to get into baseball reference and look at at that time sure. frame. Because when he was playing in Montreal, obviously, typically in Montreal, it was easier to hit on the road than in in the dome. Oh, absolutely! That so, plays with a cavern. Yeah, I mean, I've been there. It's it was an abysmal place to watch a baseball game. You were one of the hundred people that was in the stadium. Yeah, I was definitely one of dozens and dozens in attendance. <laughs> we, but but the crowning achievement was getting flipped off by Chipper Jones. So, well, wait a minute. Oh, that's hilarious. Because because <laughs> uh, again, he it, wouldn't stop calling him Larry. There was me and two other guys in in the left. Larry Wayne. <laughs> Larry, Larry. And, and you could the catcher could hear us because it was that empty. Like and, and from oh, man. and from the, his point of view, after seven innings of that, I actually do believe the Braves took pity on him and took him out of the game. If I remember correctly, yeah, he did, and that's when we left because at that point the game was done. Anyways, the Braves were up a bunch, and that was. Not, well, so not, let me ask you this: but, in the in the time frame Larry Walker played, so we, we'll use the seven eight year split model, right? Was there, say, Barry Bonds, you know, who at the time uh, was splitting between left and right, depending on what they needed in San Francisco and Pittsburgh? Um, was, was there a position player that had comparable or better numbers on both sides of the, of the field? So we're talking late 90s? Uh, like 95 to 2002. Was, we can yeah. use that as a healthy split. Well, you're right fielder in Chicago. I mean, you know he was steroided up, but he had the numbers better in him. I think it's hard to use guys who were. It's well, the I mean, same era. Sammy, Sammy Sosa was definitely not the fielder Larry. He was not the defensive player Larry Walker was. Yeah, at the beginning he was. As he started getting bigger oh, and bigger. Oh, sure. Yeah, but at but the that, beginning I mean, he had a. That ended at like 96, 97. I mean, as soon as he started hitting dingers, man, that was it. Say goodbye to defense. But he still had like, the he cannon was, for the arm. He still had the arm. He was. Oh, sure, but that's not going to minimize how abysmal he was. I mean, literally, yeah. he's the reason you put your worst defensive player in right field. At, at, I mean, at that point, I mean, Larry actually made it a, a viable position again. As I say, baseball, you, in, in pro baseball, your worst speaking. defense defender should go into left field. Um, should. I'm just, should, I'm but just, I mean, you have the highest percentage of pull, right? Yeah. Well, to an extent, but you could also have the shortest throws to third and home from left. Uh, that's typically Very true. I mean, typically, if you look at, at modern baseball construction, say going back to the mid '80s, left field mm-hmm. has been the worst defender. Right field has typically been the better. T- you know, look at guys like Vladimir Guerrero, for example, of a guy oh, sure. in that sure. era who was vastly superior to Larry Walker. Um, vastly, I mean, by by ability, yes. By numbers, no. Yeah, I get, but. I, again, I think when you come and down... And Vladimir had time. He, he stuck around forever. I mean, Vlad basically played those legs came right. out. Right. Uh, but I, again, I think part of the the Hall of Fame discussion has to be those one-shining moments for an example. You know, again, 
mm-hmm. you know, there's something to be said for consistency in producing over a decade, but there's something when you can go back and watch those almost Javi Baez, like, uh, sure. you know, hitting balls off the dirt and up at your shoulders and everywhere around the strike zone, but in the strike zone sometimes. Um, and then the plays he made out in the outfield were ridiculous. Uh, oh, sure. So let me ask yeah. this. I mean, obviously, Griffey um, was easily, mm-hmm. vastly superior to anything Larry Walker did. I'm having, oh, sure, but he was a pure center fielder. Right. I'm just having to run through my head of who, who was even oh, sure, guys gotcha. at the time. Um, so it's you had Moises Alou. I mean, Moises Alou was definitely a step below Larry yeah. Walker. I mean, that's. Yeah, I'd say Moises is probably the best, like, tier two outfielder at the time for sure. I mean, he was great. Moises was fantastic. He just wasn't. He he definitely lacked the power capability that Larry had. But I would say defensively, he, he was maybe one step behind him. He was a fantastic defensive outfielder. Uh, and the guy could hit for contact. I mean, almost bar none. I mean, I, I would have to say you have to look at outfielders as a whole oh. group. The, the Hall of Fame oh. does not look at outfielders as center, right, left. They look at them as outfielders. Uh, historically, that's that's kind of been the way they voted. They don't look you're looking at them. Le- You're looking right, so, right and left, right? Manny Ramirez. And Manny being and Manny, Manny. And Manny had a way better bat than Larry. Yeah, much, but once again, Manny still... The, oh, yes. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to give him I'm not going to give him defensively, but... But he was so superior with the bat. And the, and oh, I sure. know Manny, Manny got caught up with steroids at the end, but I think you could look at him as a guy through most of his career who didn't, you know. Oh, I, sure. I think yeah. bad decisions were made, but I think, you know, even... Yeah, he got older wanted to stay relevant. That's all yeah. it was, yeah, yeah. like you most. Know. But coming up in his career, he was such he's such a pure hitter. I think it's hard to overlook somebody like that. Um, so, once again, this points back to opportunities. Manny spent his early years in Cleveland, and he was hitting and practicing with Albert Bell. Yeah. So if you don't think he learned some things, and, and it really, I would argue that that kind of stuff links to his career. I mean, Albert Bell. I mean, let's let's be real. Pound for pound was probably the scariest hitter in the last generation. When his when his body was healthy, that guy. Is, I, I, I mean, he was we, we can. The, I'd be there. But we can talk about the juice stuff, guys. But I'm talking pure natural ability at the plate. You gotta no. go with I mean, my his, guy, Bo. Uh, Bo's window. I, I always loved Bo. Bo's window was so short, and, well, and he short. was not a contact guy. It was short, but I mean, I, I mean, he sure. wasn't Rob Deere. Bo did it to himself, though. And, he stretched yeah. himself thin. He and he, yeah. you know, he wasn't Rob Deere with a bat by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> Rob Deere, <laughs> but or, or but see, like you have guys like Adam Dunn that that are interesting cases when you look at Larry Walker. Is mm-hmm. you know what do you do with an Adam Dunn now? He wasn't the contact hitter, but his power numbers were there. Uh, defensively, he was good Good in the outfield, not so good in the infield. I don't know why they ever tried playing him in the infield. Then towards the end it of was his a career, terrible idea. And then at the end of his career, he was terrible in the outfield, too. But by then, it was the end of his career. Uh, well, let me let me ask this. I mean, I'd have to go team by team and, and hmm. think. Um, you know, you had Bernie, obviously. Um, sure. Paul O'Neill, I would put right there mm-hmm. with Larry Walker. Uh, sure. So okay. We, you know, uh, do, had a do, cannon. do I get to give a shout out to my man, Bobby Bonilla? Cause he's still making more money than any of these guys. <laughs> hey, he, he may not have been the best outfielder, but he was the smartest. Thanks, oh. Fred Wolpon. God, what, what a, dis- that, that, that uh, that's my favorite day of the year, by the way, Barry, Bobby Bonilla day, favorite day of the year. Um, uh, well, like he just, that, that's insane to me. Just these, ah, 
Well, anyway, happy Bobby Bonilla Day. It's, it's not too far away. That's all I have the first <laughs> coming soon enough. Yeah. <laughs> For many, many more years. <laughs> yeah, he's... Was it 30, 34? Sorry, 2034? You know what? Speaking of Mets fans, Carlos Beltran, when he was in his prime, was filthy. Absolutely, but even Carl, yeah, Carlos was a little bit behind the, the Walker window. Two thousand ish was when he first started, because he was there in mm-hmm. Houston right. for the Roger Clemens thing, and he was the first World Series run and all that, right? Yeah, so I so mean, that's, he's well, two thousand five. Yeah, so he was there at the end of Walker's run. Starts his. Yeah, you know, again, they play each other in the CS. I mean, that, year, that gets you to that overlapping eras, you know? Right. Well, I mean, here's the thing: we discussed Larry Walker. Does that make a case for Lance Berkman? Very similar profile there. Yeah, and I don't view Lance. See, I didn't view Larry Walker as a Hall of Famer. I definitely don't view Lance Berkman as one. Well, what caused Larry Walker mm. to jump up 20, was it 24 percentage points this year? Because it was year? Derek Jeter and nobody else on the ballot. Okay. Right there, I mean, there's no one that, was, that really stood out in the ballot. So, and, so you, you can vote for up to 15 guys when there's correct. nobody. Some of, the, some of these guys do go through their full 15 and use them all. Some guys will pick only Hall of Famers, and then there's some guys who you know refuse to vote for anybody on the first ballot. Other than Mo Rivera, apparently, <laughs> I thought maybe we'd gotten over that, but apparently, you know, Derek Jeter yeah. slept with one writer's favorite girl sometime. No, it, and he went t- a big fan it was a writer in Miami. I'm telling you, it had to be a writer in Miami, and he's being penalized for what he's doing to that I, team. Down I don't there. think there's enough. I don't think there's any writers in Miami sports scene that have enough longevity to have a Hall of Fame. Levertard has and a voted for Nick Swisher. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I have no idea who he voted for. Levertard <laughs> well, has a vote. There, oh, no, man. there's well, no way Levertard yes, does. There is no way. No, he, he has to do a theoretical. Levitard was never a baseball writer. And trust me when I tell you this, the baseball writers committee is that selective. You have to, to focus on baseball well, yeah. at some point. Well, he makes the joke every year. He has one and I, he votes. I think he's joking. Oh, okay. I, I think it's Levitard being Levitard. There's no I'd way. I'd rather have Levitard's dad have a vote than him. <laughs> oh, <God>. Not Poppy. <laughs> Poppy. Poppy. Oh. <laughs> baseball is fun, you know. <laughs> just writing, just checking whatever boxes come to his mind, you know. You know, so you do, you kind of, uh, to me, it's the same problem you ran into when you let Yastrzemski and you start to open this Pandora's box. And right after Yastrzemski, that's when they changed the veterans committee. Uh, and, and getting back to my point with uh, Santo getting in after Yastrzemski and having to take a third iteration of the veterans committee to get in, you know, here, here was a guy who played, he was one of the first guys to openly play baseball at that level with type one diabetes. And, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you look at his numbers, the only reason he didn't get in legitimately is because the writer said we can't have that many Cubs in off a team that never won a World Series. That's literally what it came down mm-hmm. to for Santo, for, for most writers, why he didn't get in when he was actively on the writer's ballot. And that goes back to where, where, you, where you started and where I started, is that having just the writer's vote is flawed. Having just the player's vote is flawed. That we have mm-hmm. to, to... But what's the answer? 50-50? 60-40? Because... At the end of the day, really, the Hall of Fame is the Baseball Writers Hall of Fame. Oh, you know, my Hall that I is true. Vote too. That is true. But I mean, it's. The, I, I, I should mean, get a vote too. I like to see yeah. a 50, 25, 25. Um, I, I don't 25, like a, a fan vote at all. But owners. Oh no, 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 no fan vote, no fan vote. Yeah. Um, um, Hall of Fame members. Okay, I. I so Hall of Fame that members. Way, current. Yeah, and then. Current, uh, I would. I would yeah, say I probably think, current players, not retired players, because you're going to have too many people yeah. looking at their contemporaries, and, and then correct. I, I would not be upset with that. I think current pl- I, players would be in tune, although, you know, then that gets into some of the issue you run with 
now, even as you get younger baseball writers starting to get some, some hall of fame votes that mm-hmm. look back at older players who played, you know, when the game was counting stats as opposed to oh sure like yeah. metrics now, and they try to put a saber metric eye on it. It's like, it's kind of hard to look backwards and it's nothing against it. I have this, well, Sabermetric skews the um, the timeless nature of, of of the of the game, right? Well, um, my thing is, I'm I was a very early Bill James guy. I used to read his sure. abstract every year. Big fan mm-hmm. fan of numbers, but the OPS plus number that so many people hang on to sure. for comparison errors is an inherently super flawed number. Slugging mm-hmm. percentage in baseball is a super flawed number. A double does not make you two mm-hmm. times more likely to score than a single. A triple does not make you three mm-hmm. times mm-hmm. more time likely to score as a single. Um, and a, a walk is not the same as a hit in terms of mm-hmm. uh, scoring opportunities. It is close. It is not. So OPS mm-hmm. plus, which has become a standard for right, a lot driving of force, yeah. for these sabermetric guys to say, you know, when you're comparing generations, the problem is, if, you know, to me, there is value in guys that it, that is lost like Derek Jeter who hit 300 not just in the regular season but the playoffs because putting mm-hmm. the ball in play and making contact does even throughouts increase your chance to score over strikeouts and walks. Can somebody, oh, sure, yeah. Can yeah. somebody clip that last 3 minutes and send it to Theo? <laughs> if he, oh, we'll work on that. <laughs> if he hasn't heard it all the other times I've said it, I don't think he's about to hear it now. Because that's the biggest misconception is so many people became fans of Sabermetrics because of Moneyball, mm-hmm. the book, Moneyball, the movie, oh, sure. and yeah. the attention it got in the press. And what was misinterpreted from that entire thing is not that on-base percentage is a better indicator than batting average of scoring a run. I mean, it is to an extent, but weighted on-base average is a much better number yet because it properly weighs out a single, a double, a triple, a home run, you know, and a walk into into the equation for saying here's what you're weighted on you know what what in the likelihood of scoring a run would be based on the outcome of your at bat and it doesn't double you know uh, make a uh, double 200 2000 a triple 3000 it doesn't skew the numbers as bad and i won't get lost in in, in the uh sabermetric numbers of it but weighted on base what the movie was about mm-hmm. and what the book was about was identifying an undervalued skill in mm-hmm. the marketplace at mm-hmm. the time on base percentage was an undervalued skill set in the free agent marketplace. It was an undervalued yeah. skill in the draft marketplace. College hitters were an undervalued proposition in the draft marketplace. Uh, since all of this information has come out and since people have embraced saber metrics, in my opinion, now those two things are overvalued. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Because people started to value college hitters because they were more likely to be productive, you know, pro- professional baseball players than anybody else drafted in the first round. That's great. That is true. Uh, but some of your highest ceiling players have still been high school hitters. Uh, you know, people want to point to the pitchers found in the 30th and 40th rounds and say you can find a starting pitcher anywhere. That is not true. 50% plus of every major league rotation was drafted in the first round of the baseball draft. If you're going to find a, a frontline starter, it has to come in the first round. You don't find these under, you know, these under slot over slot guys in the second and third round. Most of the time, those guys end up being overinflated price tags and, and misbelievers of hype. Cause at the end of the day, guys who, who are going to be great starters have the skills that are so identifiable that they're taken early and often. 
You know, they're not guys who last around. They're, they're guys that teams are more than willing to pay for. You know, so to me, that is still probably the most undervalued thing is starting pitchers in the baseball draft. Um, mm-hmm. But identi- to me, batting average may be the most undervalued stat in baseball right now. And it's crazy mm-hmm. to think about because, you know, at the end of the day, we all know RBIs are meaningless. There's there's no going back mm-hmm. on that one. You know, it, it's right. it's about as meaningless a stat as a save is. And and nothing against uh, I can't think of the uh, closer in San Diego that's trying to make a case to get into the Hall of Fame right now. Hoffman, yeah, yeah, Trevor Hoffman, well, yeah, Trevor Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason why Rivera got in unanimously. It wasn't the saves; it was he was flat out the best reliever in the game of baseball for essentially his entire career. You know, other than for the little bit where they tried to make him a starter, I don't, I don't know who thought. A one pitch mm-hmm. starter was a good idea. Although, granted, he had like three pitches then, and you know that's always been the case against relievers in the Hall of Fame in the first place. Is if they were really mm-hmm. good enough, they'd be starters. Just Rivera was so valuable as a reliever that he changed that equation. I'm not sure that guys like Hoffman or Billy Koch or any of these guys that will come up in that discussion later on, Bill Wagner, um, mm-hmm. will have that same kind of value. And I think. The war war will show that, but I also think just the eyeball test tells you that these guys weren't going out for two and three inning saves in high leverage situations and, you know, clinching the pennant situations, clinching division situations, things, you know, that that Rivera did routinely. Well, it's really interesting. Um, You brought up winning relievers versus multiple winning relievers, right? Um, And I don't know if you recall, but a few years ago, I actually wrote an op-ed on behalf of Lee Smith getting a favorable induction. Um, it's always an interesting concept because in order to save games, the premise is that you have to be in position to save them, right? So it basically means that you have to be basically in a favorable position going into the uh, late eighth or ninth inning. And so we, it's, it's a really slippery slope from my pers- uh, perspective when discussing closing pitchers because teams that, um, which it, I mean, first of all, let me just say a statistical anomaly that Trevor Hoffman has as many saves as he does, the fact that he's been around forever. But um, you literally have to be in position to win games to save them. Um, so it's always odd when people talk about uh, closers. For example, um, Billy Wagner's been in recent discussions, right? Um, get, I, I think his writer's candidacy just closed, if I recall. Yeah, uh, I, think, this I year's think this was 15, yeah. I think, if not, it's really close. Yeah, right. yeah, um, yeah I believe it was year five. I believe it was year five, yeah. I believe you're No, actually, that was longer. You're actually right. It's the end of this full window. Um so in that case, you know, um, given his peers, I mean, effectively, Billy Wagner, once again, given the best, we'll say, eight years of his career, was literally the second best closer in baseball. Save Mo. Yeah, I, right? I, I think that is yeah. is absolutely the case to make. I again, I just think baseball has always, the baseball writers have looked very unfavorably on relievers, unless you were just that next level kind of guy. And I think. I mean, you, I think Lee Smith Smith was one of those cases where he was just a different guy. Dennis Eckersley was a different guy. Mo Rivera was a different well, guy. I think. I mean, Wagner, you know, Bruce Suter was not that guy, but Bruce Suter had enough credibility as a starter that when he transitioned into the closing role, that he John John you know, he Smoltz, had favorable. John Smoltz, that guy, you correct. Know, good enough as a starter. Good enough as a reliever. And when you put it all together, yeah, that's a Hall of Fame career. I think Wagner. Right, I mean, just was so not as a starter. And again, Rivera wasn't 
bad as a starter. It was just, he was such a weapon. He was more effective. Yeah. As a, as a closer. And, Absolutely. and I think Wagner would have been an interesting case. I think he kind of shows again, what baseball hall of fame thinks of relievers. And it'll be really interesting going forward with now some of these four and five inning starters. Or mm-hmm. in the case of Tampa Bay last year and a few other teams I see starting <laughs> starting these things, these one inning starters, where essentially you sure, take, take yeah. your second best reliever, pitch the first three batters, and now you set your your starter up, you know, to go innings two to three, two to six or two to seven. You hope you know, hopefully two to seven with facing the lineup only twice, because ultimately that's mm-hmm. what that's all about. Is you know right. the numbers show if you face a line, you know, pitcher faces the lineup a third time, that the lineup gets the better of them. Well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. You, usually, if you've seen him a third time, then you've seen everything he has to have. But correct. Well, also, I, he's getting tired. I mean, he's also throwing 80, 90 pitches at that point normally. Oh, who don't even get me started on eighty or ninety pitches when you got some of the mm-hmm. go back in the day and watch these guys throw two hundred pitches. I mean, Nolan Ryan is somewhere just laughing at you with that eighty, ninety pitches thing. There, well, th- that's, that's, there a probably, that's a different conversation of babying everybody, but there, there was probably three innings sure. during one of his sh- no hitters that he threw that he threw 90 pitches. <laughs> I threw a ton of pitches. <laughs> that, that man could go through pitches like nobody's business. Again, also ultimately, again, he's the very case of what the Hall of Fame should be. You can't tell the history of baseball without telling the story of Nolan Ryan. Seven no hitters mm-hmm. or not, just his longevity, his strikeouts, the way he pitched to me was enough mm-hmm. for him to be in. I just have a picture of him just like Babe Ruth sitting there smoking a cigar, eating a sandwich during his no-hitter, maybe even drinking a beer. Popping some Advil. <laughs> <laughs> then you have Doc Ellis just tripping out, <laughs> going on a magic carpet right in the middle of his. Now, I think there is, is, is uh, you know, sometimes in the immortal words of Liberty Valance, when, you know, mm-hmm. when, when the myth becomes the legend, you print the legend. I think that's the case oh, of, yeah. of that. I think he may have been at the end of a trip or, you know, had tripped the day before and turned it into, because I'm not saying that it's pretty hard to throw, you know, a no hitter, but it's really hard to throw a no hitter when you're seeing dragons in the backstop. <laughs> Just <laughs> dragons in the backstop. I don't think I'll ever unhear that again. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, here's, I mean, of course, none of us were there to really uh, validate or refute it. Yeah. Uh, but those are the stories. That's the lore that undergirds what you're talking about, being able to tell uh, the, st- the story, right? The narrative. Uh, what is baseball? What does it mean? You know, um, and I'm always drawn back to this idea that baseball, of all the major sports, is the most timeless of the four, right? Um, you're not bound by time. There's no shot clock. You don't have quarters. You yep. know, you simply just have innings. And when it ends, it ends. And there's this strange tension between uh, between pitches where uh, there is a whole inner system taking place, right? Uh, communication, signals. I mean, if you're the Houston Astros, uh, camera <laughs> recording. But um, <laughs> Drum sets but it's, it's just, in the dugout. Yeah, the, the buzzer, yeah. Too. Yeah, I'm not, right, I'm right. Not sure about the buzzer, but I, you could definitely hear them b- pounding on things in the dugout and whistles during those games. That's for yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, yeah, there, there, there is the beauty of baseball is you cannot run out the clock. You can't right. just stop playing. Essentially, you can't you can't get into victory formation and take three knees. You Correct. can't dribble out by the half court line. You have to give the other team their chance to come back. You right. have and- no option. And compared to the other three, I mean, the three peer majors, you know, 
there's a tension to baseball that is purely its own. And I think, you know, uh, that may be the, the thing the baseball hall of fame gets the most right is mm-hmm. that it has so many exhibits of events and one-offs. And so you don't mm-hmm. have to be a hall of fame player. See Carrie Wood mm-hmm. to have, oh, sure, yeah. you know, a presence in the hall of fame, you know, mm-hmm. the, his 20 K game, the highest game scored game, greatest game pitched in the history of baseball. Amazingly enough to most people who don't, don't understand that sometimes a, a non-perfect game is a greater game than a perfect game. Uh, Oh, absolutely. You know, is, is immortalized in the hall of fame and he had, you know, so if he ever mm-hmm. wants to take his kids or his grandkids more aptly, cause his kids were at least old enough to see the end of his career. Sadly, the way that ended, we'll yeah. talk about one of baseball's greatest. What ifs? Oh, mm-hmm. one of the greatest dusty Baker. Uh, it, he was, it, there was just some with his body altogether. I mean, he, he popped his Tommy John, you know, his ulnar ligament before he, he ever crossed paths with dusty Baker. Uh, Mark Pryor, you might be able to blame on Dusty Baker, but sometimes you wonder if some of those guys are that mechanical. Sometimes it creates a different kind of tension. I always thought but, he got hurt running the bases. But I think baseball mm-hmm. creates that amazing, their Hall of Fame creates those those moments. Uh, you know, the All-American Girl, Professional Girls Baseball League being having its own exhibit. You know, these not just permanent exhibits that they do have, you know, but they're also rotating ones that tell things things stories that may not have risen to a full hall of fame career for somebody or some group but tells you the whole story of the game i think if if you've never been to cooperstown and never been to the the museum and it's been a long time since i've been there but one of the things i loved is a it was just still a tiny little town on a highway in the middle of nowhere new york yes so you felt like you're stepping back in time when you stepped there and two Mm -hmm. there's just a reverence for that museum it doesn't have all the new you know, again, it's been 15 plus years, but it doesn't have all the new digital stuff. And, you know, you go in and it's quiet and it's plaques, but it's not just about the people in the Hall of Fame. It's about the moments in the Hall of Fame. You know, you get to see old scorecards, um, old parts of stadiums, and it tells you the history of the sport, not just the people in the sport, but some of the key moments. Uh, so, you know, I think it's probably what it does better than any Hall of Fame. But getting back to Larry Weird. Walker, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. Damn you, Larry Walker! You took us down the road. <laughs> Those no. sideburns, man. It's hard to forget. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. You know. I think there mm-hmm. does need to be some better selection criteria. I don't. You know, once people are in, you can't take them out. Obviously, it's what I love sure. about sports the most, though, is you could talk about it forever and have your own opinion, and you're never wrong because of sports. It's not, <laughs> not like it's life, life or death most of the time. You know, right? It's just fun and it's a distraction. Yeah. And there's billions of dollars being made off of kids' games. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I, I could see a 50, 25. So 50% to writers, 25 to current players, 25 to Hall of Famers. Because I think if you go to contemporary players who aren't Hall of Famers, you know, that are retired, then they could be skewed. Although sometimes if Correct you go with bias, yeah. cu- current players may not know the old players enough. I do. Well, the... The contemporary, hey, you vote for me, I'll vote for you then. Right. It's iffy, mm-hmm. you know, but there's no perfect system ever. Right. I mean, there are play, Albert Bell is not in the Hall of Fame strictly because sports writers hated him. The baseball writers Correct. hated him. Like, to me, yeah, his career got cut short by injury and then impacted by injury. Mm-hmm. But, if you again, He's using that, that, that window <laughs> stretch, 
there's right. nobody who impacted the, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess you had guys like Gary Sheffield and, and Junior and Bonds. That's, that's, the t- that's where it gets hard for me with Larry Walker. There are so many guys that if, if given more time to think about it, you can come up with them. Oh, sure. But, you know, um, I'll argue. So um, I'll argue for and against Chef, um, for Chef. Um, definitely figured it out early in his career in Milwaukee and then pr- created a very productive career. Um, on all fronts uh, for quite a long time. I mean, I would say this prime was a solid 10, 12 years, which is much longer than the average uh, major leaguer and um, has carved out a nice niche for himself. Um, I actually think the con is his longevity. He, he, he stuck around too long. He wanted uh, a specific number and he stuck around until he got it. I mean, and he, you know, right. I, and I think a ton of players have had those, you know, oh, absolutely. Ch- chasing those numbers or chasing one last milestone, you know, but he, I mean, if, if I'm picking between David Justice and Larry Walker in their prime, I'm taking David Justice. Well, I mean, oh also, sure, but Justice had a very much shorter prime. It's also harder to pass up some of the money they were tossing at those players uh, too. I, I mean, I would say Justice was probably close to seven, seven years, seven, seven, eight. I'd years. argue five. I, I mean, I could see where you could say his absolute peak was five, but it, yeah, I mean, I mean, he was still a productive player in any at any rate. Yeah. Um, but um, pound for pound, who could get it done and on both sides of the, of the plate and be a guarantee? I would say guarantee. Guarantee is a very um, binding word, but a more likely contributor. Um, I, I, I still have to Larry on that one. And, uh, DJ's my guy. I mean, I, I was a big fan. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I still think Larry gets the edge there. Kenny Lofton, for sure, I'm taking over Larry Walker. Dare- Kenny Lofton was absolutely filthy. Um, I mean, there's for what his skill set was, Right, you know, different um, skill set, absolutely valuable, but, absolutely valuable. God, that Cleveland outfield there for a while. Who was the third outfielder with him? Or, or there was a stretch where it was Bell, Lofton, so Bell, D- and Manny, DJ. wasn't it? Yeah. Manny was out there for a while. DJ was there for a couple of years. Um, Cleveland teams in the mid to late nineties were filthy. They were oh, that ninety five and ninety six team was absolutely disgusting. Like it was the best team in baseball. They were out there to the breaks. I mean, that was. Well, that, and, and then in 97, they lost to the Marlins. And that, Correct. And that was kind of the beginning of the end. Poor mistake. Until the new era. Why the mistake by the lake is the mistake by the lake. Even when things are good, they can't be good enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you look at that lineup, uh, that three, four-year stretch, that is a scary lineup. And they were really good at baseball. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, by then, Harold, Harold Baines was a, uh, a DH. Mm-hmm. Trying to think. Of, I mean, that, yeah, you had Eddie Murray uh, that was there for a few years, and um, the Alomar brothers. Yeah, and they had a pretty. Uh, yeah, that was a pretty, pretty good team. That, that team didn't win a World Series is amazing to me. Young yeah. Young Jarrett Wright was filthy as a starter then. Started right. Game Seven of that World Series. Good old Fat Bart was skinny Bart back then. <laughs> Hey, he's a hero to us all still. That that part is the hero. Baseball didn't realize it needed. <laughs> <laughs> but now that is an interesting Hall of Fame discussion. Bartolo. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, he's not going to get in. There's no way he no. can get in. His numbers just aren't there. But again, he was such a presence in baseball for so long and such a guy. CeCe Sabathia will be another interesting. Like, Pitchers in general will get very interesting going forward because the numbers have changed mm-hmm. so much. Yeah. 
and the way you have to look at those numbers for starters, it, I, I could talk Hall of Fame stuff, and I could talk all of this with you forever, uh, but we're closing in on two hours here. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, I do want to make one disclaimer and apology. Um, I said right field. I meant left field. I got my words mixed up, and I do apologize for that. Nope. I mean, I don't think anybody's holding us accountable. Please don't, because we ain't fact-checking nothing here either. Um, <laughs> if we have one, if we have any comments, we'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> We, we, we don't have the uh we don't have our tony reality here to fact check us at the end of the episode so so i can make a completely outlandish claim right now jay buner is a kentucky colonel i don't know i was just trying to go out there and see what i had but um well it's been an absolute pleasure talking sports with you thank you for the opportunity it's always a pleasure man no it's been great meeting you nice um, friend you. by the way all right Absolutely. man great talking to you you too take care now guys bye bye Thank you, everybody, uh, for tuning in this week to the Off Base Sports Podcast. Uh, again, call in. Be part of the conversation. You know, you may be on for an hour plus. Uh, sometimes it helps when it's an old friend uh, that you've known for years and can talk sports with. Uh, but And conversations that you've had before on, on Hall of Fame ideas. Uh, but as always, subscribe, rate, review. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, uh, po- Google Podcasts. Uh, just about anywhere. This video will be on our Facebook page for Off Base Sports Podcast. Give it a like. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, uh, Twitter, and the Action Network app uh, to track all my sports gambling at Degenerate Jason with no O. D- so Degenerate, J-A-S-N. Um, give us a like, share a page, subscribe, rate, review the podcast, and uh, thanks for tuning in. Have a great day. Bye.